We have a, a special guest that's going to be doing the testimony. I want to welcome up uh, a coach from the high school down the road, Fairdale High School, Renardo Foster. Dalton, we're going to use this mic here. Uh, this is Holly's mic. So, Coach, you can just stand right there and hold that mic. I think you got plenty of slack. Coach Foster is one of the football coaches down at the high school. Uh, he's a believer in Jesus, and so uh, over this fall semester and football season, we've been feeding the football team every Friday, and so uh, for you all, you may have never seen him or met him before, but for those of us that are here every Friday working with the football team, working in the kitchen, uh, he's become a good friend because we see him all the time, and so I asked him if he would be willing to do the testimony. I want to explain this, this verse a little bit. Paul writes to the church uh, in Philippi, that's the book of Philippians, and he says, that I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this is a very encouraging thought for us because it lets us know that, yes, we are right here in the midst of God working in our hearts and lives, but we're not where we need to be. Okay, That will ultimately be heaven when we get there, but we're in the process of God making us like Jesus and fit for heaven. When did that start? That started when God saved us and changed our hearts and made us his child. And so we're not what we used to be, but we're not what we're going to be. And Paul says he is confident that God will finish what he started in us. What a great thought. And that's the purpose of these testimonies, okay? So y'all are used to me asking each person uh, three questions. But since we have a, a guest today with Coach Foster, I'm going to ask him five. So we'll take a little bit of extra time so you can get to know him. <coughs> so, Renardo, if you would, tell us first a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and how did you find yourself here? Okay, first of all, I'd like to thank First Baptist for inviting me to uh, share my testimony. But... Um, as uh, Pastor Green said, I coach here at uh, Fairdale High School. I'm the varsity offensive line coach. I'm originally from uh, Henning, Tennessee. It's a very, very, very small town outside of Memphis. Population is about 950 people. Hmm. So I, I share all the time about how much Fairdale uh, resembles my hometown. Uh, very, very small. We only had like two traffic lights in the whole town, uh, no grocery stores, anything. So uh, very, very small town. But uh, I'm from there. Uh, I first came to Louisville in uh, 2002. Um, I uh, received an athletic uh, scholarship to play for the University of Louisville. I went on there. Uh, I finished around 2007. Uh, and then I went on to play uh, five years in the NFL. I retired in uh, 2012. And uh, even though they're not there, my wife and my daughter, um, I've been married for six years. And I have a five-year-old daughter that started kindergarten this year. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious, what NFL teams did you play for? Oh, the, the three, I, pl I played for three NFL teams. First in 2007 with the Atlanta Falcons. I played with the New Orleans Saints, and I finished my career with the St. Louis Rams. Okay, good. All right, so you're, you're a football guy. Mm -hmm. Let me ask a couple more questions about your family. Do you have okay. brothers and sisters? Yes, I do. It's, it's funny, I had a few people come up to me today and say that I was related to a Steelers fan, uh, well, to a Steelers guy. Uh, I didn't know it was that many Steelers fans here in, uh, in, in Fairdale, but that was the biggest thing. Most people wanted to come up and talk about my brother. He's played um, eight years in the NFL, all have been with Pittsburgh. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but again, as and, and far as my family, my wife, she's a uh, assistant principal uh, downtown Louisville at uh, Western Middle. Um, and I have a few other brothers and sisters 
came from a pretty good athletic family. I had one brother that played at the University of Tennessee basketball, uh, and I had another one that played at the University of Memphis. Mm. So uh, it's, it was pretty competitive around the house. Right, yeah, uh, okay. Okay, well, good. Now that we know you a little bit better, mm-hmm. how did you come to know Jesus? I first came to know Jesus in 2012. It's, it's, it's a funny story. Um, I had just got back um, from uh, my youngest brother's uh, bachelor's party in, in Atlanta. And on the way back, it was a, I had a delayed flight in Chicago. And there I met this uh, gentleman on the plane. Uh, him and his wife uh, didn't know at the time you know, anything about him. Uh, but on this flight, all the way back to Louisville from Chicago, he shared the gospel with me. Hmm. And I, I had no idea. He kind of, you know, you know, caught me in a spot, and uh, he asked me, uh, what was my relationship with Jesus? And the only thing I could tell him was, uh, you know what? I, 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 I'm not a religious person, but I'm spiritual. And I had no idea what that meant. That's pretty much what I fed people anytime they would ask me about that because they put me on the spot. So I told him that, and he always tells me this story to this day. He had me at that point. So whenever we uh, got off the flight, uh, he uh, exchanged all his information uh, for me. And then I come to find out this was he's a pastor in Buckner, Kentucky, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Gary French. And at that point, he, uh, he brought me uh, down to his coffee shop. And uh, he asked me, like, what am I waiting on? And I, it, there wasn't anything I was waiting on. And at that point, I uh, gave my life over to Christ. Mm, praise the Lord. Wow, what a neat story. Yeah. Okay, so that was 2012. Here we are, 2016. So you've been a Christian now for four or five years. Mm-hmm. When you look back on your Christian life, okay, uh, what do you see as how God grew you or, or a moment where God grew you? What is something that makes you think God's growing me? Um, I would say the, the, the biggest growing moment, um, when I was younger, I, I figured I could do everything on my own. Hmm. I thought, um, I mean, I was bigger than all, stronger than all. I can do everything on my own. And I thought I was a pretty good guy. I, I, I went back and, uh, I thought at that point getting me to heaven would be just doing good deeds. Hmm. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to any parties. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. So for the most part, I, I thought I was a pretty good guy, but little did I know, just doing good deeds will not get you to heaven. Mm. So I realized that um, very quickly with, um, you know, studying the Bible and uh, not only studying it, but, but trying to apply it. Mm. Yeah, wow, okay. That's great. Um, thinking now, mm. okay, your, your life's changed. You don't play football anymore. You coach football. Mm. And we're so thankful that God, God placed you here. What a big blessing that is that you, you work here in Fairdale, Kentucky, and, and now we have a relationship with you. At this stage of your life, now in, in October 2016, how do you think God's growing you now? And, and I tell our church, this is the hardest question to answer. <laughs> this is the hard one to answer. Well, How's God growing you now? You know, he's doing this right now. This is only my fourth time either, you know, sharing the gospel mm. or even uh, sharing my testimony. Mm. And um, doing this now, growing up, I was an extremely shy kid. That may be hard to believe, but I was extremely shy uh, when I went to uh, U of L, my degree is in communications, and I did that to help me with uh, with, with things like that. But uh, I would say that's the, um, the 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 biggest growth I've had. And you know, I have a friend here, Scott Long, and I use two of his words in basically everything. You know, with sharing the gospel, uh, you have to be bold and you have to be intentional. And I feel at this point, I'm I'm, I'm being bold by coming up here and uh, sharing my testimony. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're encouraged by that. 
Well, one final question, and, and we, we want to learn from you. Um, we're thankful that the school and the coaches and you guys, and especially head coach, Coach Wright, mm-hmm. allows us to be involved with the team. We love to serve you all in that way. Mm-hmm. But now that you've been around us nearly every week in a, in a whole semester, how could you encourage our church or even advise our church on how we could better serve not only the sports teams but the high school? From your perspective, mm-hmm. and, and it, and it may, may not be all that much, but from your perspective, how can we do a better job? Well, first, I, I mean, I'd like to thank you for what you do for the football team. I've been here uh, four years. I've coached three, and uh, every Friday they provide us with a uh, pregame meal. So we, we're very thankful of that. But what I figure, um, you know, the church could do, one for the community, the school, the students, and the staff, uh, just pray that uh, more people in those positions could be uh, witnesses to mm-hmm. others. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing. Just, just pray for them that people can see, you know, love, kindness, um, and uh, forgiveness in each other. Just be yeah. witnesses to everyone else. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. May we all commit ourselves more to praying uh, not only for the schools and the students, but those who are in leadership positions there. Well, church, please join me as I pray for Coach Foster. Father in heaven, thank you for this special time and our, our guest here today, Coach Foster, who who is a guest because he's not a, a part of our church, but he's a, a, a dear friend now. God, I thank you that you've brought him here to be a coach. And God, I thank you that, that some pastor on the plane spoke up and shared the gospel, the story of Jesus. And I thank you, God, that you opened up uh, Coach Foster's heart and that you saved him through that relationship. And now here we are being encouraged by it. God, I pray you'd bless him as a, as a teacher and coach. I pray you'd bless his marriage, his family with his wife and his, his daughter. God, I pray that he would lead them to, to know you and love you. And Lord, I pray that you would use him up there at the high school. And I pray also, God, that you would uh, bless our church, that we would faithfully serve this community uh, in the ways that we are, but also praying like he's encouraged us to. God, we pray Philippians 1-6 for Renardo Foster that we are confident, Father, that what you began in him on an airplane in 2012, we are confident of this very thing, that you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we worship you for that. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue right along here in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I, am, I am really encouraged about today's passage. At first glance, it's just an, another regular passage of, of Jesus working in somebody's life. But when you, you get to looking at it and studying it like I have been, and as we're going to today, you see that, wow, this is, this is really, really neat. And I hope that you'll be blessed by it. Uh, before we get into it, I want to tell you that there is a pew Bible there. If you didn't bring a Bible, I want you to be able to follow along. Uh, the black Bible there in the pew would be page 926. Uh, and I also want to say one, one final time, I guess. Y'all, last Sunday was awesome. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and, and last Sunday was so great. Y'all did a good job of, of honoring and, and thanking uh, not only myself, but also Jake and Joe. We were very encouraged by that. The Sunday morning stuff was really neat where you brought us up with our wives and, and gave us a gift and said thank you to us. And then also the Sunday evening is just a, a fellowship and reception time. And, and many of you all had written us cards and just encouraging things about how God is using us in your lives. And 
Uh, we are so thankful for that. Uh, I've said it now several times over the past couple weeks. Uh, this church does a great job of loving and supporting and appreciating uh, your pastor. Uh, Val and I are so happy to be the leaders here, and we thank you all for that. So uh, great job last Sunday with the pastor appreciation stuff. It means so much to us. I'm, I'm humbled and happy to be your pastor, so thank you. Okay, Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 to 30, and this is a story that changes the shift here in, in Mark's gospel away from what you've been thinking about, and we're going to see now another side of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, they had, um, at Fairdale Elementary School, Grandparents' Day, and uh, that is where the kids can invite their grandparents to come to school and have lunch with them, and, and that's really cool. Uh, and we called my parents and Val's parents and told them it was just a little over 500 miles if they could make it for breakfast that morning <laughs> to go to breakfast with J.J. and Eli, but they, they weren't able to. They couldn't, they couldn't make it that day. It was too far. And so the school allows that if the grandparents can't come, then the parents can. And so Val and I got to go and have lunch that day as sitting grandparents with J.J. and Eli. And, and what I found that day was awesome. I went into Fairdale Elementary School right over here's cafeteria and sat down with J.J., and J.J. was the only white kid sitting at that table. It was awesome. It wasn't planned that way. It's just the way it went, and I was so encouraged by it. J.J. was sitting at lunch with all of his buddies, guys and girls, and it was this huge variety of people. On, on J.J.'s right was this boy who said he was from Liberia, and he had a cool English accent. J.J. was talking with him, and I had, I had told him that I'd been to Africa a little bit, and it was, it was cool to see him. And sitting beside him was this, this girl who was from Mexico, and, and she knows that J.J. knows some Spanish, and so they could do some Spanish back and forth. And sitting beside her, was a girl who was from Vietnam, and as soon as we started talking about the languages that everybody spoke, she wanted to tell me, hey, I know some Vietnamese, but we weren't able to speak any Vietnamese because I don't know any, uh, but that was, that was really cool. And then <clears throat> sitting, sitting beside here was a, uh, another kid who was a, what you call a Chicano. That means they're an American, but both of their parents are from Mexico, so they were born here, but they spoke Spanish too. And as we were having lunch, I was looking around, and I was thinking there's diversity everywhere. I like that. You know, there's a lot of people today who would try to see that as a, as a danger to their child. I want you to know that I am thrilled that that's the, the setting that, that my children are in. And J.J. and Eli are growing up with great friends who are of all kinds of diversity. That reminded me of the, some of the ministry that we get to do up at the high school. And one time I was up there speaking to the Fairdale soccer team. And soccer is one of those sports that's a little bit more popular around the world than it is in the USA. And so uh, the soccer team is filled with all this diversity too. And one of the times that I was preaching up there to the, to the soccer team, we were out back in the field. I encouraged those players with your team more than every other team at the high school, more than baseball or basketball or football or cross country, more than volleyball or softball or anything like that. Your team, on some levels, most resembles heaven. I told them that. And I asked them if they knew why, and they didn't know. Most people today don't think much about heaven, right? Or if they do, they don't think rightly about heaven. I told them that their team most resembled heaven, out of all the teams at Fairdale High School, they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, not on every level, 
I said, but the Bible makes very clear that heaven will be full of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. There will be every skin color there. There will be every language there, all worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And that soccer team was full of all types of people with all different skin color and all different sorts of backgrounds from different places. And I'm thankful that the more and more that I read the Bible, the more and more I understand that that's what God is like. And I want to encourage you all to be the same way, to understand that God is not uh, the God of any certain type of person. God is the God of all people. He made every single one of us, no matter where we are. And this passage today, Mark chapter 7, at first glance, you wouldn't have noticed that that's what Mark is emphasizing, but we're going to see that today. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, but yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What a great passage. I want to give you three points today. The first is coming to Jesus for someone else. The second is coming to Jesus the right way. And the third is coming to Jesus regardless of who you are. Coming to Jesus for someone else, coming to Jesus the right way, and thirdly, coming to Jesus regardless of who you are. Let's begin here at verse 24. Jesus now uh, is, is, is on the move, and we see this a lot in the Gospels. He's on the move, and so he's leaving that setting that we've looked at the past couple weeks where he's there in Jerusalem, and he's talking with these Jewish people over the details of the law. You remember my last two sermons have been dealing with the heart, and they, they were puzzled over, over how Jesus' people didn't wash their hands before they ate, and they were taken back by that because there's a Jewish rule. It's not in the Bible, but there's there's a Jewish rule that says you have to wash your hands before you eat because some things might be dirty and you shouldn't eat those and then it defiles you and all that. And Jesus just makes clear that, hey, to have a clean heart and be right with God doesn't really have much to do with how often you wash your hands or, or what you're eating. You've got to get your heart changed, right? And that's what Jesus has been talking about. But they've been dealing with the Word of God or the traditions of man or the, the rules of the Jews and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, right here from verse 23 to verse 24, it shifts. And Jesus has now moved on. And he went away to this region that is in Phoenicia, okay, and the Tyre of Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And it's interesting. There are several times in the Gospels where 
It says that Jesus didn't want anybody to know, or he tried to, he tried to get away. And we're not exactly sure always why. You know, in Mark chapter 1, verse 45, it says, He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And the Bible tells us then that Jesus was telling them to not say anything because when people found out there was just too much uh, too much of a crowd, and, and Jesus' ministry was hindered. We don't exactly see the same thing here, but it does tell us that Jesus has, has uh, entered a house and, and tried to get away. And I think that this is important for us to understand in our passage today because Jesus is not with the Jews, but he was coming first to the Jews, right? Now, we know that the Bible teaches us that God's message is for all people, but the Bible is also very clear, listen to me, that the order in which God wanted to communicate his message was for the Jews to hear it and understand it first, and then it went to the Gentiles. It's not more for the Jews or, or less for the Gentiles. Don't hear that. But the order of which Old Testament and New Testament emphasize this is that it came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And Jesus is still here in his Jewish Galilean ministry, and he's just taking a break. Perhaps he was just needing some rest. Perhaps he was just looking for some downtime, and he went into the house. And as you can see there, he could not be hidden. It, you, you can't hide Jesus and his great power and message that he has, even though he tried. I want to show you a couple of verses. That's verse 24. Skip over to verse 33. It says, Jesus taking him aside from the crowd privately... He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Jesus is about to heal this person, but he wanted to do it privately. He didn't want to do it publicly where everybody could see. That's verse 33. Look at verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. You see, there's this theme of Jesus wanting it to not be full-blown yet, everybody to know. And we're not exactly sure why, but on some levels I want you to hear that it has something to do with the message was first to the Jewish people, and then it was coming to the Gentiles, okay? And you're going to see this as we continue on. So back to verse 24. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, but yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, look at this, immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. The first point I want you to see today is coming to Jesus for someone else. The key person in this passage is this woman who comes to Jesus. She heard that he was in town. She heard that he was there at that house, maybe trying to catch some rest. And she went right there. But not for her own sake. She's come on behalf of her daughter. I want you to hear from me today that one of the most important things you can do in life is live for the sake of others. I know you often hear that you can't live for other people or you can't be controlled by what everybody else is thinking. But in a good, healthy sense, I want you to hear that one of the most important things you can do is live for the sake of others. Remember this great thought about Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends or for his enemies. It says it both ways. There is no greater sign of love than you sacrificing yourself for someone else. And all good mothers know this. I've often said that the hardest job in the world is a mom. You guys are the real heroes. 
And in this passage, we see a mom doing it yet again. She comes to Jesus. I want to ask you here plainly today a question I've asked myself this week. I've asked myself again this morning, and I'm asking you now. One that will surely bother you. Who is it that you're coming to Jesus on behalf of? Who is it that you've been talking to Jesus about? Who is it? And so often, we have to hang our head and say, I haven't been. I want you to see that this is Jesus trying to hide. I want you to see that this is Jesus trying to, to get into a house and be away from people. And this lady, with great determination, has now brought herself to him. And it says plainly, has fallen down at his feet. She knows something about Jesus, doesn't she? Now, granted, she probably could have said, I've got so much going on here. I mean, I've got laundry to do and clothes to feed. I've got to help them do their homework, and I'm running them to soccer practice. I'm doing all this. I don't have time to go across town and find this man Jesus and ask him to do something for you. She didn't say that. She did it. Because, yes, it is important for your kids' clothes to be washed and them look nice at school and their homework to be done. And for their bellies to be full, we don't want our kids to go to bed hungry. But moms and dads, listen to me. You are failing, and I say that sensitively. I don't want you to think you're a failure. I want you to be encouraged by this. We are failing if we're doing all of those things for our children and yet not leading them to Jesus. This mother perhaps hired a babysitter to go do what was of the utmost importance. This mother perhaps canceled the evening plans to get to where Jesus was. I said it a couple weeks ago when we did the baptisms. There is no higher responsibility in my life or your life than that we would lead our children to know God. This lady has come to Jesus not for herself. I realize that many of you are here today for yourself and that's the way it should be. But I want you to hear me today that there's another reason why you should be here today too, and it should be for the sake of somebody else. Who is it? I want you to see that not only do the Gospels teach us that you must be saved by a personal relationship with Jesus, there is no way that somebody else can do something and make you saved. No matter how close I am with Jesus, I cannot cause my relationship with Jesus to save my children. That's not what I'm saying, and y'all know that. But I do want you to see that the Bible shows us indirectly, passage after passage after passage, of how you can be used by God to help other people know Jesus. If I say the phrase, and they were bringing, doesn't that bring to mind several passages in the Bible where people were bringing people to Jesus? I want to read a few to you. Mark chapter 10, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. You remember that passage? It gives us the picture that everybody in town was gathering up children saying, here, we, we got to get you to Jesus. Luke chapter 5, and behold, you remember this one. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they got to the house and noticed that the crowd was too big for them to get into the door. So they quit and said, well, we tried. No, they didn't. 
So they found a way to get to the roof and dug a hole through the roof, and they lowered their friend down through the roof. Why? To get him to Jesus. Oh, what great lengths we might go. Acts chapter 5. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and bringing those who are afflicted with unclean spirits that Jesus might heal them. This is a theme that you see in the Bible. They were bringing people to Jesus. Sometimes it happens on an airplane with a stranger that I'm going to guess is bigger than you. But we can still bring people to Jesus. Do you remember in John chapter 1 when Jesus called the disciples? Do you remember the, the, the order? We tend to know the first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then the next two, Philip and Nathaniel. And then we kind of forget the next six. But do you remember the order? The first he called were the brothers, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee James and John. He called them together. So we see that brothers came together. But in that passage, we don't have anybody bringing them. But right after that, it says that he found Andrew fishing. It says that he found Andrew fishing. We don't know anything else about Andrew, but you know what it says in John chapter 1? That after Jesus called Andrew and saved him, it says that Andrew went and found his brother Peter, the leader of the disciples, and Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Were it not for that brother Andrew, perhaps we would have never known that disciple Peter. Have you ever brought your brother to Jesus? Are you trying now to get your brother to Jesus? Are you praying for him? Right after Peter and Andrew, it goes to Philip. Jesus finds Philip. This is still in John chapter 1. Philip now becomes a follower of Jesus, one of the first disciples. And it says right after that that Philip went and found Nathanael and says, Nathanael, we have found the Savior. We found the person that the Old Testament's talking about. And in the very first disciples in John chapter 1, we have Jesus calling one, but then the Bible teaches us that it didn't, it, Jesus didn't go find Philip and then Jesus go find Nathaniel. Jesus found Philip and Philip found Nathaniel. Jesus didn't find Andrew and then go find Peter. Jesus found Andrew and Andrew went and got Peter and brought him to Jesus. And this is what we see in the Bible. Our passage here today in Mark chapter 7 is of a mother who is concerned about her daughter and she knows that the answer for her daughter is Jesus and so she goes and falls down at his feet on behalf there. I wonder how much different our lives would be if you and I ever spent time on our knees for somebody else. If we're ever on our knees, it's a cry of desperation to fix our situation, usually. Usually. May we be those like this mother who want to bring other people to Jesus. Last week in the Philippians 1-6 testimony, Daniel Snyder, or if it wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago, said that it was his mother who brought him to Jesus. Today in our testimony, Coach Foster says that it was a man on the plane that led him to Jesus in a coffee shop. Y'all, people come to Jesus through other people. And I want that to be your conviction that God would use you to that end. I want to encourage you that whether you know it or not, for some of you all, I'm in the process of bringing you to Jesus. That's why we have our friendship. And this is what the Bible wants us to know. This mother has come to Jesus for someone else. 
But notice, secondly, in her coming to Jesus on behalf of her daughter, she comes to Jesus the right way. Look in the Bible at verse 25. I mean, sorry, verse 26. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Here's the situation. Her daughter is demon-possessed. Her daughter has a problem. We don't know the age here. We don't know if this is an older lady with a, with a, a grown adult woman, but she comes and she's at the feet of Jesus and she's begging him. Notice, so it's not a, it's not a, a one-time request. It's, it's a begging. And Jesus answers this wild answer and says a parable that you really need to look deeply at. Let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What's he talking about? The Bible often refers to people as dogs, and in many ways it's this negative derogatory thing. Here it might be that. Not really sure. The word, though, is a different word. And this is the word dog referring to a pet. So a dog that's welcome in the house, dog that's loved by the family, a dog that's taken care of. So it is a dog, but it's a pet dog instead of like a, a stray dog that lives in many parts of the world that nobody likes. Nevertheless, he is calling people dogs. Here, look, let's look at what he says. Let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Here's what Jesus is meaning. He's telling a parable. The children are the Jews. And the dogs here in this passage are the, are the Gentiles. Jesus is speaking about the order of his ministry. He's meaning, I can't just come and give you the message of God. You're not a Jew. I can't go straight to the dogs if I haven't fed the children at the table, is what he's meaning, and he's still in his Jewish ministry. Now, at first thought, you think, wow, this seems kind of harsh. He refers to her as dog, and he's rejecting her and all of that, but that's not what's happening. Really, Jesus is saying something here that's challenging or, or testing her faith. Jesus does this many times. You remember when the rich young ruler come to Jesus and say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember that good question? That's a great question, right? Anybody that comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do I get to heaven? That's a great question. But as soon as he said, good teacher to Jesus, Jesus replied with what? Why do you call me good? Before I get into answering your question, I want, I want to understand something. You just called me good. Why are you calling me good? Are you calling me good because you think I'm good? Are you calling me good because you think I'm a good guy? Are you calling me good because you know that you're not good and I'm the only one that's good and there's nobody good except God alone? What, what's going on here? Jesus isn't in any way like trying to uh, push the conversation in another direction. Jesus is, is, is challenging or testing him to see where are you coming from. He does it here in a parable, which we see often in the Gospels, as a way of Jesus not only testing by, by his pushing back, but testing by seeing if you have the understanding that comes from a changed heart, like we talked about last week. Remember, when Jesus speaks in parables, he tells us that he speaks in parables sometimes so that those who understand can understand, and those who don't understand won't understand. And here he starts talking about children and table and dogs. And if this lady was not coming to Jesus the right way, then she wouldn't have understood. I'll be honest on speaking on for my own self, and you can probably relate to this too. There are many times, and honestly too many times, 
where I come to Jesus asking him to fix something in my life and I don't want him to do it for his sake. I want him to do it for my sake. That's not how you go to God. Many times somebody's sick or hurting and we're not trusting, we're not walking by faith, we're not wanting it to be for God's glory, we're not trusting in God as Father, we're not trusting that, we're just going to God wanting Him to fix our situation, vindicate us, help me, something like that. And Jesus pushes back a little bit on this mother to see, are you asking me to heal your daughter because you want my glory in your lives? You want my glory in your life? You want my glory in her life? Are you wanting my glory to be worked out here? Are you asking me to do that for that? Are you just asking me so that your little world and what your desires are would be better? Jesus is challenge, challenging here the motive behind her prayer. We need to be challenged on the motives of our prayers. He says to her, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Here's what he's meaning. That his message is for the Jews first. He can't come first to the Gentiles. That's what he means. Again, hear me. This is not the bad term in the Bible as dog. It is the word dog, so that could always be bad, right? I'm not sure how y'all feel about dogs, but it could be. It's the word here for pets, though. But notice how she responds. She doesn't snap her fingers and get an attitude to Jesus and say, get on out of here, man. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be for all the people, and you just called me a dog. Nobody's going to talk to me like that. You know what? I'm going to go take care of my daughter on my own. She doesn't get an attitude like many of us do. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, nah, I already tried. I've been praying to God. He'll never do anything for me. I've heard on countless times somebody say, no, I tried doing things God's way, and he don't, he don't help me. You've heard people say that too. Notice that Jesus gives her a parable in which he refers to the Gentiles receiving his message as dogs, and it's not their time yet. It goes to the children at the table first, and look at how she responds. She answered him, verse 28, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Hey, if you're going to come to Jesus Come to Jesus the right way. That's my second point. Come to him believing. What she means here in her answer is, absolutely, your message might be for the Jews first, but I'm a Gentile here and I'll take the crumbs. Yes, the Jews may be getting the, the food first on the table, but, the crumb, the, but, but every time the, there's food on the table, the dogs know there's going to be crumbs underneath the table, and the dogs get it. Let me tell you something, church. We're not the Jews in the passage. We're the Gentiles. And I'm here today believing the Word of God, and whether it's the main course on the table or whether it's the crumbs under the table, I'm a believer in the promises of God, and my sins are forgiven, and I'm on my way to heaven, whether I'm a dog or a child or at the table or under the table. I've got the Word of God, and that is the answer. And this lady knew that this lady knew it jesus gives her this parable that if she was not believing by faith she would have not gotten it or she would have gotten upset or she would have rejected it and in many ways you can almost see i, I can almost picture jesus like holding back a smile because he knew he had tested her in a way that could have been received wrongly if she did not trust god's heart but she trusted god's heart yes she did I can't give the food to the, to the dogs first. And she said, oh, you don't have to give it to the dogs first. You put it on the table, the crumbs are falling right here, and I will eat the crumbs. And she stays trusting. She stays believing. She came to Jesus the right way. 
I want to point out something here. The last person to come to Jesus this way, falling down at his feet, is in Mark chapter 5, verse 23. Turn there. Mark chapter 5, verse 23. Look at this. Verse 22. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Notice here that the last time that somebody came and fell at the feet of Jesus, they too were falling at the feet of Jesus on behalf of somebody else. So often we think falling at the feet of Jesus has to do with us and our worship and our allegiance to our king. And yes, absolutely, it does speak to that. But the first two times in the Gospel of Mark where somebody is falling down at the feet of Jesus, it is for somebody else. More specifically, it's for somebody's children. Oh, would I be at the feet of Jesus crying out, JJ, Eli, Noah, Carolina, and Liliana. Oh, God, please make them yours. Change their hearts. Work in their lives. Save them. Love them. Forgive them of their sins. Make them yours, Father. I also want to point out here what is so obvious is that the two people that have fallen down at the feet of Jesus, this goes back to where I'm, where I'm going with this sermon with my opening illustration, is they could not be more different. One is a man, and he's the leader, the ruler of the synagogue. He's a Jew. He's got high priority. He wears a name tag. He's got rank. He's all of that. The other is a lady, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician. Both of them have come and fallen down at the feet of Jesus. Listen to this. This is commentator Edwards. It says, despite Jairus' enviable qualifications, however, he does not hold an advantage with Jesus. For the woman's deficit with regard to qualifications will be compensated for her by her depth of faith. For all of their differences, one was a Jew and one was a Gentile, they both find fulfillment in Jesus. Listen, for Jesus sees not human status, Jesus sees human need. Some of y'all may have strutted your stuff in here today, all the awards and pride and success and money and status you have and some of y'all may have limped in here today thinking that last last night or yesterday was so bad i don't even think i should be here today i want you to hear today that god is for both of you all god is for those who need him mark began his gospel the very very beginning Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, quoting Isaiah, reminding us that Jesus came as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy to the Jews. But as the New Testament does so beautifully and seamlessly, the the New Testament takes us from Jesus' ministry to the Jews and keeps it going to the Gentiles, all people, all nations, everywhere. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. Listen, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The Jew first, but also to the Gentile. If you're going to come to Jesus, come to Jesus the right way. Humbling yourself before him. Crying out, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Asking the one who died for sins to forgive you of your sins. Asking the one who gave up his son on the cross on behalf of people to pardon your sins and change your life, and he will. Don't come to Jesus trying to make yourself better, make your name greater. Come to Jesus because you've realized that you've sinned against him and you want his love to be poured out in your life. When we come to Jesus the right way, he accepts us and he welcomes us. Notice that this mother is coming to Jesus on behalf of somebody else, and even at that, she comes the right way. Lastly, we can come to Jesus for someone else, we can come to Jesus the right way, but lastly, you can come to Jesus regardless of who you are. Starting in verse 24, Jesus is now moving to the region of Tyre and Sidon. As he's away in a house, a lady comes to him, and she is, look what it says, a woman. She is a Gentile. She is a Syrophoenician, all of this, and she comes to him. And what Mark is doing in his gospel is so absolutely fascinating. He's introducing a person, perhaps, who has been more stereotyped than anybody I've ever seen. Listen to all of these descriptions. We read the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 15, right? Y'all remember that. That's what, that's what Austin read. In that passage, it said it a little bit differently. It called her a Canaanite. It called her a Greek. Here, here, it, here it calls her a Gentile. So we've got this one woman. Mark is trying to prove a point. We've got this one woman. She's a Greek. She's a Gentile. She's from Syria. She's from Phoenicia. She lives in Tyre. She lives inside it. Listen to this. When have we ever labeled somebody that much, right? When I said the only white kid at the table, some of y'all thought, why you got to be white? That's the way we talk. Even one stereotype is too many often for us, Right? And here in the Gospels, they are emphasizing to us, this lady is not who you would think can come to Jesus because you and I are so bad about thinking, nah, he's too messed up, he's not for church. Nah, Josh, they're not from America, man. They're from another country where they, where they have a different religion, and so we, we don't really want to invite them to the Bible study today. Or, you know, they, they live beside me, but they, they're from Bosnia, and, you know, they're, they're a little bit different, so I've never really invited them to church. I just keep hammering on this, this old white guy from Fairdale who's been denying church for 80 years. That's the only guy I keep inviting to church. But these new people beside me, I've never really invited them to church. And we are so bad about thinking that some people are fit for Jesus and some people are not fit for Jesus. In the last few months, I've been wondering how many times have black men been able to stand up in First Baptist Fairdale and be able to talk about how God saved their lives. Coach Foster, I appreciate you being willing to. And Scott, you've come and preached before, and I appreciate that so much. The Gospels, y'all, are labeling this woman over and over and over again so that you would see that anybody can know God. Anybody. Anybody. Notice that in the passage before, the passage before, Jesus is arguing with people who say they know God, who are discrediting God's word because they have a tradition that they made up about washing hands. 
And Jesus is telling them, you know the Old Testament, you're committed to the Old Testament, you're ignoring the Old Testament, you're the fulfillment of Isaiah and the hypocrites that say they know God. He says that here in Mark chapter 7. You people are calling you the, you calling yourself the children of God, but you're hypocrites, you're all caught up in the Word of God, you don't obey the Word of God, you've made up your own rules and traditions, and you're doubting me, the Savior, over whether washing their hands before they eat makes them the children of God or not. And Mark goes from that ridiculous passage in that crazy conversation and goes right to this. Here's a woman, a Syrophoenician Gentile woman, speaks a different language, doesn't even know the law probably, never even read the Old Testament. She hears that Jesus is tucked away in a house trying to get some rest and she comes and she falls down on his feet and says, Lord, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, this message isn't for you dogs. And she says, oh, give me the crumbs then. And Jesus says, you are saved. Man, God is for everybody, and I love his heart. Anybody who will come to Jesus, he will by no means cast them out. It doesn't matter. Stop qualifying who can come to Jesus. Start thinking of the worst people, the furthest people, the most oddball people, whoever it is, and think they are fit for the kingdom because in order to be saved, you've got to be lost. And this is what Mark is wanting us to see. Listen to this. In journeying to the vicinity of Tyre, Jesus expands the scope of his ministry beyond anything conceivable of the Messiah. Listen to this. From a socio-religious perspective, Jesus' visit to Tyre universalizes the concept of Messiah, universalizes the concept of Savior in terms of geography, ethnicity, gender, and religion in a way entirely unprecedented during his time. There are so many times in the Bible where people think, no, we don't, go, we don't need to go witness to them. We don't, we don't associate with them. And God is blowing that up. Do you remember in the book of Acts, chapter 10, Peter with Cornelius, they get in that discussion over the food, and God makes clear that, no, now this message is for the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, Peter says this, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter says, now I realize this is the case. It's for everybody. Do you realize that we have a Syrian refugee issue in the world today? Who doesn't, right? you realize that this woman here is from Syria? Y'all, God has been saving people regardless of what land they live on since the beginning. And you and I are now living in the last days where we have the crystal clear commandment, this is what we should be about. Coming to Jesus regardless of who you are. Commentator Edward says, the Gentile passage of 724 and following that we're reading now reinforces and furthers the truth of the beginning of chapter 7 where it says, there are no unclean foods by emphasizing there are no unclean people. Now we know that all of us are unclean. The Bible says that. Here's what it means. 
Just like there are no foods that are off limits to you guys, there are no people that are off limits to God. And if you're struggling with that, let me remind you that a Gentile, Greek, Syrophoenician woman from Tyre and Sidon is a lot more closer and familiar in look and language and everything else to Jesus and the Jews than you and I ever would have been. You do realize that people living in North America with this Caucasian of skin as we have are about as far as you can get from anybody in the Bible. There aren't any white people in the Middle East. Thank God for the crumbs under the table. And thank God for a God who welcomes us even so late in history. Jesus saves. He saved an Ecuadorian in Val and her family. Saved a North Carolinian and me and my family. Saved a whole bunch of Fairdalians. Saved a girl from Syria. Modern day Lebanon, Israel, that's where she's from. And may it be the heartbeat of this church, the people of God in Christ, that we want more and more and more and more to know God, knowing that he's saving them. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you that we've been convicted today on coming to the Lord on behalf of other people. Father, thank you that we understand in this passage it's not just about coming to you, it's coming to you the right way, humbly believing you. And thank you, God, that Mark is emphasizing so clearly that this woman who is the unexpected can come to you. Oh, Father, forgive me. Forgive us. And we think just by somebody's who they are is not ready or not fit or not able. Forgive us of that. God, help us to see people like you do, not by their status, but by their needs. And thank, I know, a great God for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.